Welcome to the Veil Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney is in our series, Raid the Darkness, with a message called John 3.16. At Veil Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. morning. Certainly is beautiful out uh, this morning. It's a great day to be in church. Take uh, your Bible out and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 3. We had gone through this story where Jesus has this encounter with a guy, Nicodemus. It was a pretty big deal, right? Spent a lot of time there leading up to this one verse. But let me tell you about this this, this verse. This is the most famous Bible verse in all of the Bible and in the world. Most people can quote this, and most people can quote this Bible verse in the King James Version, which is fine. Would you like to do that? I'll put the King James Version up right now. Here it is, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? You could say it with me, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a great Bible verse. No wonder it's so famous, right? Or maybe you can quote it in the NIV. It's actually not a whole lot different. New King James, King James. New International Version. Here's the NIV, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Oh, there's a little change. That whoever believes, because we don't really use that word whosoever, right? Uh, Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Same as saying everlasting, I guess, right? Okay, so um, here we are. The most well-known verse in the world and in the Bible. I love this verse. Unfortunately, though, this verse is almost always used in a standalone fashion. And that's actually not a good thing. It took me a long time to learn that. Even as a pastor, I didn't understand this verse should not be used in a standalone fashion. It absolutely shouldn't. Without any reference to its context, you're kind of making a mistake. So you need to be careful. And I want to kind of go through that a little bit today. In addition, virtually all the later translations, Bible translations, still follow the reading of the King James Version. Now, I'm not here to bag on the King James Version, but we don't talk in these and thous anymore and, and has and, and, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so it wouldn't be bad except that the meaning of the words change. Lots of meanings of words change over time. And and so the word so is actually a problem. That word so. We use the word so a lot different than we used to. And I'm going to show you this. It wasn't, uh, well, I guess it was a while ago. It was almost 20 years ago, all right? 20 years ago. I was in San Jose, California, my family was there. We were there a long time, like 16 years. And I had become the family pastor at Crossroads Bible Church. I was the youth pastor, and then it just kind of morphed. Me getting a little older, and things getting a little bigger, and all that kind of stuff. So it was a great church. It was a great church. And um, I had a, a distant relationship, but a relationship with Pastor Tim Coop, who was the pastor at Pantano Christian Church. And so... Anyway, long story short, through some mutual connections, uh, Pantano needed uh, uh, 
a pastor for some things. And so they said, hey, Ben, would you like to, would you like to come out and do that? And I said, you know, I'm, I, I didn't feel like the Lord was, I was ready. I didn't think the Lord was done with me where I was. I said, I can't do it. I'm not, it's not time. And so it took me about a year. And uh, Glenn Elliott then who was, he just retired, Glenn Elliott did. He, uh, he called me, he said, hey, are you ready yet? basically. And I said, I said, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing your timing. So we talked and, um, I determined that I had been there a long time. Um, the Lord was going to, for various reasons, uh, move us back to Arizona where I grew up. I grew up in Prescott, Arizona, right? So we're pretty excited about coming back to, uh, Arizona. And although Tucson's a lot different than Prescott, but, um, so, the pastor at the time at Crossroads Bible Church, he said, um, Ben, for your, uh, you know, as you exit, I'd like you to preach, the, you know, your last Sunday. And I said, I, I would love to be able to do that. We, you know, we ended things on a really good note, and it was really good. And, and uh, I wasn't leaving because I was disturbed at what was going on there. But he said, you know, we're teaching through the gospel of John, and in particular, we're right here at these Bible verses, John 3, 16. What do you think? And I said, yeah. Who can't preach that? Come on. I'll do it. So I spent a bunch of time kind of getting ready in it, and I discovered some things that changed my life. The Bible, in basic English, most clearly conveys that most of us understand this verse to mean, John three sixteen. For God had such love for the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever has faith in him may not come to destruction or die or perish, right, but have eternal life. In so doing, the Bible in basic English translation renders this verse in a way that obscures, obscures, honestly, the principal thrust of what Jesus is saying, And I, 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 I had been a pastor a long time, and I'm like, I, what? I, I couldn't hardly believe it. Here it is right in front of my eyes, and I'm missing actually what this verse is saying. Fortunately, the Net Bible gets it right. The New English Translation gets it right. Now, I had just been introduced. Don't put it up yet. Yeah, okay, you're still looking at the NIV. That's good. Fortunately... Right? I had been introduced by way of a little article about the New English translation that I teach from now. New English translation, the net Bible, kind of a play on words. I got this little article. I'd taken a class in seminary from a guy named Earl Rodmacher, who I don't really know what happened to him. He was a really old guy when he, I was taking his class, so who knows. But man, he got all over us and preached his whole message about how the NIV was from the devil. All right. And um, not because it was just a, such a horrible translation, although he was not a big fan, but because of all the money that was behind it and how they, he felt like they were making money off of God's word. And he was so upset about it. Kind of convinced me. You know, most uh, Bible translations are all, uh, you know, they're owned by publishing companies and you can't exist if you're a publishing company unless you make money. Well, the Bible is the most popular book in the planet, on the planet right up there with the Twilight books, you know, and, and, and uh, I don't know what else is out there, but, all right. Um, <clears throat> so you can make a lot of money off of it. And he felt like NIV, and I think it's true, was making a lot of money off it, and he was disgusted with it. So he had a bunch of preachers in front of him and students, so he gave it what for about it, and I kind of became a believer. 
And, uh, you know, but he, and he forced us all to, to, to do class in, in seminary out of the New American Standard, which is a word-for-word translation. NIV is a phrase-by-phrase translation. But I got introduced to the New English translation, which is both phrases and words when appropriate, actually. Okay? And on and on. And I don't want to talk too much about uh, translations today, but... What I got introduced to, well, I had just had a, got a brand new cell phone almost tw- it's 20 years ago now. Cell phones were new. I got one of those where you pull the antenna up, right? You flip it open. You're like, hey, can you hear me? You know, remember those days, right? And, you know, and the interwebs were sort of emerging and the email was like, oh, my gosh, you're you're in the dark ages if you're not using email and all that kind of stuff. I lived in the Silicon Valley, and so it was, uh, you know, tons of people in our church who worked at Apple and Adobe and all these dot-coms, and so it was in the technology, right? And so uh, this article was about a group of scholars, conservative uh, scholars, some that you'd know. They decided, they said, you know, the Internet is changing our way of life. It's changing everything. So this is what we're going to do. You know, at that point, the only way to get the Bible online, you had to pay for it. It costs up to 16 bucks to download the Bible. And NIV and all these other publishing, you know, people who publish the, those things, who own those rights and the translation rights and all that kind of stuff, they were, they were going, wow, we're going to make money now downloading it to your computer, to your device of some kind, right? The iPad hadn't emerged yet. But these scholars said the only way, we, you know, this, this could go to everybody for free just like that. We got to do something about that. So they got together. The only thing that they, they could do is say, let's do our own translation. And when we have our own translation, we'll give it away for free. And everybody across the planet will have access to the Bible. Oh, that article totally jazzed me up and changed my life. I said, I said, I got to know more about this. So I started reading this story about all of this. So they did it. Lo and behold, they did it. And then they gave it away free. And you know what happened? You know what happened? Every publishing company with every translation on the planet had to do it too. Forced everybody to give it away free. Now you can get the, the, the Bible for free. How many of you got a Bible app? Come on, raise your hand. The rest of you, look around. <laughs> Come on. You should have it. You can download it for free. All right? Now, now, here we go. Not only did the Net Bible change my life and make me a fan and make me say, you know what? When I came to, to Tucson, I wanted to be a part of a church that planted churches. I said, if I plant a church, guess what translation we're going to use? And I'm going to teach from the rest of my life. Because that one issue is going to be the New English translation. Those guys know what, know what it's all about. It's not about money. It's about getting God's word into everybody's hand. But what a great modern translation. You know, I spend my whole life trying to put it in proper English that everybody can understand. That's all I do is teach it so that you can understand it. I don't need to paw through the King James Version. God bless him. But, but we don't talk like that anymore. And words are important and phrases are appropriate. And in my view, as I started studying John 3.16, I started realizing this very thing. 
Now put the net Bible version of John 3.16. The most Bible, uh, translated Bible verse in all the planet actually has always been translated primarily in the King James language. But the net Bible says, for this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? A translator note changed my perspective in my life about this verse and started making me think, We're using this verse incorrectly most of the time because it's just the way it's been translated in the language it's used. A translator note of the Net Bible points us in the right direction. The note simply reads, or this is how much, or in this way. This is the way. That phrase changed my life, right? Because these words, so and for, are particularly problematic. Now, when you search the, word, the, 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 the use of this word rendered so in John 3.16, when you do a search and you do a little study in John's writing and the rest of the New Testament, you realize like me that I understood the word in a way that John does not seem to have intended the word to be used. The two words for and so are the rendering of a two-word combination in the Greek text that this, that, that, that this is translated from, which occurs nine times in the New Testament. None of those occurrences in those nine times can or should be rendered in a so much way. So much. Every one of these verses, every one, can and should be rendered in this way. Or this is the way. Now you, like, now you know why I like the Mandalorian so much. <laughs> or something very similar to this. This can be seen by the way the Net Bible handles these eight other occurrences of the expression found in John 3.16. Let me just show you really quick. Matthew 2.5. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for it is written this way, there's that phrase, there's those words, that combination, by the prophet. In Matthew 3, 15, so Jesus replied to him, let it happen now for, and then emphasis mine right there, in this way, that's the word, it's right there, it is right for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John yielded to him. Matthew 5, 12, watch this. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. For they, for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. There you go. Acts 13.8. But the magician Alimus, for that is the way his name is translated, opposed them, trying to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Um, the phrase is right there in Acts 13, Acts 13, 47. For this is what, or this is the way the Lord has commanded us. I have appointed you to be a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Keep going. Acts 20, 13. We went on ahead uh, to the ship and put out to sea for Asos, intended to take Paul aboard there, for he had arranged it in this way. He himself was intending to go there by land. 1 Peter 3, 5. For in the same way, the holy women who hoped in God long ago adorned themselves by being subject to their husbands. 2 Peter 1, 11. For thus, or, for in this way, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you based on the consistent 
use of this expression in the New Testament, we should understand John 3.16, the way the Net Bible actually has translated it. I want you to notice something else. There's an expression here, for in this way, it points back to something previously stated. It, it links what is being or is about to be said to what has just been said. To find out what this same way is, we got to look back to what has already been said. What will or should happen must happen in a way similar to the way something has already happened. Try not to make that too complicated. But a study of the eight verses are all lead you to understand all that. So go back then to John's intention, to verse 14. Go back to verse 14. Look for yourself. I'll put it up here. Don't trust me. Go back for yourself. Look at verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so, here, emphasis mine, in the same way, there's the phrase, must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why he sent him. But that the world should be saved through him. So Jesus tells this guy, Nicodemus, you know, two weeks ago, if you are here, we talked about this guy, Nicodemus. He's a great scholar. He's a smart guy. He knows the Old Testament. He studied a lot. People like him. He's smart. He's good at what he does. He's got some questions, though. But Jesus tells him that he's got to be reborn from above. He doesn't use the word born again. He says born from above. I, I like that phrase, too. New English translation, born from above. Why do I like that? Jesus gently rebukes Nicodemus as a prominent teacher in the Old Testament law because he finds Jesus' words, so new and so difficult. And so verse 14, Jesus turns to the Old Testament to clarify and to help him answer the questions that he's got. He turns to the Old Testament, verse 14. Uh, Let me clarify this for you, Nicodemus. In this incident, Moses lifted up a bronze serpent in the desert. That was the whole message two weeks ago. So that all who, by faith, looked up to, uh, to it, they were saved. In the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent, the Son of Man must be lifted up. The Son of Man is to be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So the words that launched John 3.16, this one verse, for this is the way God loved the world, pick up and expand on the thought of verses 14 through 15. And I want you to notice the repetition of this statement so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. In verse 15 and 16, the argument of Jesus and John goes something like this. Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you got this question? How can you be reborn from above? You know up there? Well, first, no one can ascend into heaven except the one who first descended from heaven. So, God's provision for man's salvation has come from above, Nicodemus. The story of salvation of the Israelites in the deserts. You know the story about the serpent and the pole and the bronzer, you know, and the people are being bitten and dying from poisonous snakes. You know those people, the Sunday school story I pointed you to, right? It speaks of salvation from above. 
Moses lifted up a, a, a bronze serpent upon a pole and placed it where all the Israelites could come see it. And all those bitten, not the people unbitten, all those bitten by a serpent could look up. Because why? Because they're poisoned. They're going to die. They could look up to the bronze serpent and live. The salvation that I speak of, Nicodemus. And you're asking about? It's from above. That would be my pastor and the way he would do it. Right? Not only in that God has provided it through the one who descended from heaven, but also in that men must look up to him and be saved. So this salvation in the wilderness by way of the bronze serpent, it's a prototype of God's salvation in Jesus. In the same way, in the same way that the bronze serpent was lifted up on a pole for all to see, the Son of Man has got to be lifted up. So that all, everybody who looks to him by faith have eternal life. For in this way, God loved the world. He gave his one and only son in order that all who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, God gave his one and only son by sending him to this world. By lifting him up on the cross of Calvary. And by lifting him up from the grave and exalting him above every name. God's love for the world was demonstrated, God's love for the world was demonstrated in Jesus, the one that the Pharisees rejected. Who was Nicodemus? Pharisee. They rejected his, um, they rejected him, they rejected his testimony along with John's. They did not believe, right? The Jews wrongly assumed God loved them. They just thought God loved them. Lots of people think God loves them. Because they're just Jews, they, th- those, those people, because they're just Jews. What are the Jews well known for? Being religious, doing all the stuff. Now, now they're informed that God loves them only through Christ. You catching that? If they reject Christ, they also reject the love which the Father demonstrated towards them in Christ. In verse 16, then Nicodemus has another shock. I mean, he's already been shocked, you guys. He's, I, I, I would have loved to have been there because he is stupefied. No wonder he came to him at night. This verse declares that God's love extends to the world, actually. Yeah. And that God has purposed to save Gentiles as well as Jews. This is literally beyond the comprehension of many Jews, and, and Nicodemus would have been right there, including believing Jews, actually, believing Jews. So the prophet Jonah, for example, you know Jonah, the whale that's getting swallowed and getting puked up on the beach and that whole thing, right? That guy, what does God want him to do? He wants to go, he wants him to go preach to the Ninevites, Gentiles, so that they could be saved. So John and his brother James, you know them, right? They wanted to call fire down from heaven and torch the Samaritan village. Gentiles, yeah. When Peter, he goes to this home of a guy named Cornelius and he preaches the gospel to the Gentiles who gathered there. The church leaders in Jerusalem, they get all over Peter for going to the Gentiles with the gospel and like, you're, you're, you're all unclean now. I mean, you're messed up. What are you doing? 
And so after, you know, Peter convinces them that this was of God, they confess that God must be saving men from among the Gentiles as well. But what do they do? They just keep on, Jewish believers, they just keep on going out, speaking the message to no one but Jews. For Jesus or John to say that God loved the world was revolutionary. It's shocking, actually, and very distressing for a strict Jew who's very religious and doing all the stuff. Doing all the stuff, right? They're going to church. Might even bring their Bible to church. Try to dress up a little more, except in Tucson, right? And just do some stuff, right? Do some things. Do, do some things, right? We go through the, all, all the things here. I'd like to highlight another lesson to be learned from John 3.16. I mean, this is where it really gets, this word loved. This word loved, right? I'm getting ready for this message and I'm going, man, I am learning a bunch of stuff here. The word love, it's, it's in past tense when you study it. The word love, past tense. The Greek verb is in the aorist Tense. Now, you got to get out your Greek Bible and all these things and go through all that and go to school to figure some of that out. Luckily, I've done that for you, all right? But here's what happens. It indicates a specific act at a particular point in time, that word loved. The verse, then, does not say something. It does not say God loves, present tense, the world. It doesn't say it. You cannot make it say it. I mean, I had to stop and go, what? You got to be kidding me. But if you just do a little bit of work like we did a couple of weeks ago, you, you understand the reason for this is because we're to understand that God has demonstrated his love for the world in a particular way. He loved the world through his son, Jesus Christ. God loved the world by sending his son into the world so that he might be lifted up as a sin bearer or a curse. That's what we talked about two weeks ago, right? So it brings us to this new component in John's gospel introduced in verse 16 that must have caused Nicodemus and all of his colleagues and even people in church right now a real whole bunch of difficulty. I thought God loved everybody and I thought that that's what that verse says. God loves everybody. It doesn't say it. It doesn't mean that he doesn't, but it, that verse doesn't say it. So this is messing Nicodemus up. That new component is the concept of hell, actually or eternal judgment introduced by the term perish. Jesus' earlier reference to the bronze serpent raised the issue in a more subtle way, that people who were saved by looking up at the bronze serpent were those who were dying because they were bit by poisonous snakes, right? So they're perishing because God was judging them on account of their sin. They're rebellious. Remember, God rescued them. He said, I want you to be my people. I've chosen you. You're to showcase who I am and the essence of who I am to everybody else. And then they're just really bad at it and not doing it and being rebellious. It's like you're supposed to show everybody who I am and who is God. He's all about love. And they're just being ridiculous. So he's judging them on account of their sin. And they knew it. And if they don't act quickly and look up to the serpent in faith, they're going to perish. I mean, it was God that sent all the poisonous serpents. 
to bite him, kill him. I'll get your attention. Man, he's serious. Poisonous snakes. Can you think of anything more terrifying? Camping with poisonous snakes. So Jesus first shocked Nicodemus by telling him that he would not even see the kingdom of God unless he's reborn from above, right? Jesus' words in verses 14 through 21 are even more disturbing. Nicodemus is not only unable to see the kingdom of God in his present state, he's destined to die, to perish. He's, He's shocked. I guarantee you he's shocked. He's probably left the conversation now by the time you get to John 3.16. And it's crazy. When you get right there, you can't tell, is this John talking or Jesus talking anymore? Who is it? Nicodemus has left. It may be John who now fills in the details, writing these words after the death of Jesus, his death of Jesus, his burial and resurrection and ascension. The man who thinks He has arrived, is told. He isn't even on his way to heaven. He's on his way to eternal torment. He's condemned. He's a condemned man. God's purpose in sending Jesus into the world, though, is not to condemn the world. You caught that, right? But that the world through Jesus might be saved. So, so now because of verse 17, how can Jesus or John, whoever's talking here, make such a statement in light of the latter verses in John, like John 5, 26, right? For just as the Father has life in himself, thus he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he granted the Son authority to execute judgment because of his son, uh, he is the Son of Man. What? John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own, Jesus says, my own initiative. Just as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. John 9.39, Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that those who do not see may gain their sight and the one who sees may become blind. I thought Jesus said I didn't come to condemn You see above in John chapter 5, right, that Jesus is talking about the judgment he will execute at the resurrection of the dead. We've got to keep going down to verse 25 and on. The judgment spoken of in John 9 seems to be essentially the same thing as that in in, in those verses, verses 17 through 21 of John chapter 3. So Jesus came into the world as an expression or you could say as a demonstration of God's love for the world. That's why he came into the world. To demonstrate God's love. He came to save those sinful people like you and me who believe in him. Those who do not receive Jesus as God's only way of salvation reject God's love. It's about the way. The primary purpose of Jesus' first coming was to implement the love of God toward lost sinful people like you and I by providing a way. A way of being saved. Like the bronze serpent provides a, a, a way of healing for all who would look up and be saved. In the same way. You see? Judgment is a secondary effect of Jesus' first coming. And it will be more dramatic part of his second coming. He's going to come again. For those who he came to provide a 
way of salvation are, are guilty sinners already under condemnation. That's Romans chapter 3. Those who reject the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ reject God's love. When you reject the way, you reject God's love, and you fall under even greater condemnation for having seen the light and then rejected it, John 9. A person's response to the light of our Lord's, uh, of Jesus' coming is indicative of their moral and spiritual condition. Those who practice the truth do not fear the light, but they welcome it. Why? Because the light reveals the righteousness of righteous men. The, the light exposes some things, right? Those who are unrighteous, they hate the light. Your response to the, to the light then is demonstrates your moral and spiritual condition. That's why we have to raid the darkness. People cannot be saved until they realized they are lost. You gotta get people lost. You gotta get people lost because they don't think they're lost. How many of you think you're lost when you're lost? No man in this room ever thinks he's lost. That's, everybody's like that. The light condemns both by exposing sin and by exposing sinners who reject the light. In this sense, Jesus passively judged or exposed the sins of men in his first coming. And he'll actively judge sinful people at his second coming. Okay, hold still. What does this have to do with me? It gets rich. Rich in truth and application then, doesn't it? Let me point out some principles. Number one, being religious and doing the stuff is not the same as being a follower of Jesus or a Christ follower. There's a way to believe in it. It's not the right belief, right? Nicodemus, he's a perfect example. That's why he's in the story. It not only applies to Nicodemus, but all kinds of religious people today. All kinds of people. You can't get much more religious than this guy, Nicodemus. But Jesus' words make it clear that as as religious as he is, Nicodemus is not yet a Christ follower, a true believer. He's got to be reborn from above. That's why I like to use the word the Net Bible uses, born from above. There's nothing wrong with saying born again, but somehow it just didn't didn't sound the same, does it? Because now you know the meaning. Are you a Christ follower or are you just religious? A lot of people come to church and they're just religious. If you take the words of Jesus seriously, there's a great difference between those who are religious and those who are reborn from above. Hell is going to be populated with a whole bunch of people who are religious, who have trusted in their religion to save them rather than trusting in Christ alone. There's going to be a lot of people in hell who trusted in their works to get them to heaven rather than in his work, Jesus's work. The work of Jesus at the cross of Calvary. He came down from heaven, from above, and he was lifted up on a cross to bear the penalty of your sins and my sins. He's raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of God now. He offers us his righteousness and his life. If you trust him, instead of trusting in yourself, you'll be reborn, born from above. And you can be assured that you will see the kingdom of God. Isn't that what Nicodemus wanted? How do I see the kingdom of God? Here you go. Now, here's number two. 
God's love for the world has been demonstrated through the coming and the cross of Jesus Christ. His love has been demonstrated now. Think of this. This is the way God loved the world. It's the only way anyone can enjoy the love of God for now into eternity. The only way. To reject Jesus Christ as God's provision for saving us is to reject God's love and to be under God's condemnation. Then, waiting for the day of God, God's eternal judgment, right? So many people today find comfort by assuring themselves that God loves them. But God loves us in Jesus Christ. That's why you can't use that, word, that, that verse by itself. Don't do it. You should not use that verse by itself unless you're going to go back and explain some things. To reject him is to reject his love. It's both foolish and dangerous to believe in a God of love without submitting to the son of his love, Jesus I hear it said pretty often, I believe in a God of love. I'm all about this. God is love. They go on to say such a God would never condemn anyone to hell. He doesn't send anybody to hell. You send yourself there. These verses tell you just the opposite, actually. Don't say that. The God of love who sent Jesus Christ to save the world from sin is the God who will send him a second time to judge the world for sin. Those who've looked up to him for salvation now look up, waiting for his return. Those who have rejected him fail to grasp that when he returns, he will come as their judge. That's a terrifying thought, but that's also the blessing of being saved. And it is my hope. It is my prayer. Hear me. Hear me all the way to the end, though. That God will give you no rest and no peace until you've experienced the love of God in the person and the work or the way of Jesus Christ. Now, who in your life needs you to explain John 3.16 and get it right? You see? Goodness, don't be winging that verse around without anything with it. That's not what John wanted. That's why it says, for this is the way. Well, if you're going to use for this is the way, then you need to talk about, well, what is he talking about? You got to go back. You got to go back. That verse is never meant to be a standalone verse. You can't do it. It shouldn't be done. Don't do it. How many times have they said that today? It should revolutionize and change the way you think about the most famous Bible verse in all the world. That's why. You gotta invite people into conversation about this. You can post that Bible verse as you, if you want, but I think it's a disservice. It's not the right way to use it, is it? <sighs> Got a little preachy today. When you leave, you're gonna get handed some of these cards. They say, Resurrection Sunday and then all the service times and then there's a little QR code in the back and you 
put your phone camera on that, and it takes you to all kinds of sign-up cool things and stuff. You know, Resurrection Sunday's coming, and I'm telling you, I'm going to preach it. I think you should bring somebody who needs to know about the way with you and then take them to brunch afterwards or whatever you're going to do. Take two or three of these cards and hand them out and just invite people. Normally, I want you to invite people into a relationship with you so you can explain to them the way, right? So you can get past just using that one verse by itself kind of thing and tell your story. How many Nicodemuses are out there? I mean, there's tons of them. Take some of these cards and invite people to church. Parking lot will be paved, I promise. What a mess out there right now. It's, gonna, it's happening. You know, take some of these. Will you do that? Oh, I can't wait for this Sunday. It's going to be great. Resurrection Sunday, bring people with you who need to know the way. This is the way. Stand with me. Lord God, thank you so much for a great day today. We pray that um, you would change us um, and, and, and restore some of our thinking about this and use it the right way, Lord. Oh, the, the intention of John and, and Jesus is so important here, Lord. Help us to represent you well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like to know more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.